Hi everyone, I hope you're really well this week. Welcome to another episode of the Motherkind podcast with me, your host, Zoe Blasky, where each week I chat about all things motherhood and well-being. My mission with this podcast is to help you reconnect to you, to feel happier, more joyful, calmer and more alive, whatever that looks like for you. So maybe this podcast is going to inspire you to look at your health and self-care. Maybe it's thinking about your career and making work work for you. Maybe it's looking at your relationships or your relationship with yourself and finally addressing that inner critic and making a commitment to being kinder to yourself. So I chat to all sorts of wellbeing experts and game changers to help you become your healthiest, happiest and most alive version of you because that is what I think is the most inspiring thing to become for our children. So hi everyone and welcome to this week's episode. It is with Louise Chun. Louise is the founder of welldoing.org, which is a therapist matching site, which she founded when she was 57 a few years ago. She is also the former editor of Psychologies magazine, which I know lots of you know and love. And she is currently the editor of Planet Mindful. She has three grown-up children, so much like Gail on last week's podcast, she brings a really different perspective on mothering and modern parenting and modern life. So we chat about, to start with, this really inspiring career change that she did late in life, you know, from magazine editor to tech entrepreneur at nearly 60. I found that so inspiring. So we chat about that and how she overcame fear and lack of confidence to, yeah, now running a really successful tech business, including a trip to Silicon Valley, which is a brilliant story that she shares. As you get older, you don't care as much what people are going to think. Therefore, it's still frightening, but somehow or other, the humiliation doesn't come into it on the same level. We also talk about looking back and, you know, she's very reflective and I really appreciated that on her early life with her children and what she's learned from that. We also talk about her self-care, obviously a real passion of mine, you know, how well she did back then when she was raising her three old children and what her self-care looks like today. Probably the biggest thing I do for myself every day is I walk the dog. Now, I never thought I'd have a dog, and I never thought I'd be a dog-walking woman. So that's quite interesting, but it's really great. And Louise offers lots of perspective on modern life and how it was different when she was raising her children. So, yeah, quite a different episode in lots of ways, but I really enjoyed it. And I'm really enjoying chatting with older guests at the moment who are just bringing a different perspective on modern life and motherhood. So I hope you really enjoy it. If you did, as usual, please do rate, review and share. And here it is. So Louise, welcome to the podcast. Hello. And thank you so much for coming all the way to Clapham. (laughs) I really appreciate it. And I just took a few moments before you arrived because this is quite early. We're starting at sort of half nine. And for me, getting Jessie off to nursery. And so I took a breath before you came, but I really appreciate your 
calming energy set on myself <laughs> this morning. No, it's fine. I'm happy to be here. <laughs> I've already introed a bit about yourself mm-hmm. in the introduction of the podcast, yeah. but I wondered in your own words, you could just tell everyone listening a little bit about you and then we're going to weave into some deeper questions. Sure. My name's Louise Chun and I'm originally from New Zealand, um, from Auckland. I came from a family of four brothers and me and we had a kind of, you can imagine, five children all in pretty much the same kind of cohort, all at the same schools at the same time, all that kind of thing. It was a pretty relaxed upbringing in many ways. I always wanted to write. I always had a little mini typewriter and was always writing another book or something. You know, as that kind of kid or doing a cushion cover or making dresses. If you're the only girl, I think you're sort of driven by some feminine things like creative homemaking kind of things. But I think having lots of boys in the family meant I was also competing to keep up with them. Mm. And then you turned that love of writing into your career, didn't you? Yeah, I did. Yeah. So I went to university, did a degree, got married pretty young, and we spent a year in in the US where my first husband was studying. And then we arrived in London with no ticket out, and a couple of hundred pounds. I mean, they wouldn't let us in nowadays, I'm sure. It was, <laughs> it was pretty, what well, was very relaxed. We didn't know what we wanted to do or where we wanted to live. And we just started applying for jobs and, you know, doing things. I worked on different trade newspapers and magazines and then got a job on Just 17, on the launch of Just 17. Wow. And, and that sort of set the course in a way through different magazines, newspapers. I was at The Guardian. I was at Vogue. I was editing In Style, Good Housekeeping. And the last one I edited was Psychologies. Mm, I love Psychologies. Which was great, yeah. But by that stage, we're about 2010, I think, 2012 maybe. And everything was changing so much in the media. And I spent a couple of years trying to work out what it was I was going to do. You know, would I be trying to get another job as an editor or would I be a freelance journalist, whatever? And then it struck me that the internet had changed everything and I needed to be working on some level on the internet. And that's when my husband suggested to me, why don't you do something that helps people find therapy. That's because you'd struggled to find a therapist. I'd struggled to find a therapist. And And why were you looking for a therapist? I was looking for a therapist. I suppose at that point I've been to see therapists twice. And at that point, the most recent time, I would say it was a lot to do with the end of the career that sort of time around the 50s. I mean, a lot of people now would say, oh, menopause. I'd say, not. didn't feel like that's why it was. Um, I think there were lots of changes within the family, within... I didn't feel like I knew what I wanted to do anymore. How is that manifesting for you? I didn't feel happy. I felt there wasn't anything I looked forward to. I felt like I'd been running very fast for a long time Mm -hmm. and I kind of run out of road and I didn't know what I was going to do. Were you depressed? I don't think I would say I was depressed. In some ways it was more like anxiety. But then some therapists would say anxiety, depression, it's all become very mixed up now. Yes. I think that... You know, there was just dissatisfaction and I wanted help in working out where to go. 
in so lots you found, of ways. So you found this therapist, which you found a really tricky process, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, how, I'm do you, I... how do you find a therapist? You know, it's very, would you ask a friend? Well, I didn't. It didn't occur to me to ask a friend. And I think I don't know that many people who, as far as I know, or at that time, as far as I knew, were seeing therapists. So that wouldn't be a natural thing for me to do. Some people don't want to say yeah, that they're going no, to see a therapist. Absolutely. A lot of people don't want to say. Yeah, because I remember my first therapist, I was young, I was like 20, and I just Googled, and it was mm-hmm. a horrendous experience. Mm. Really set me Did back. Did you talk to different people, or you just... Well, I was living in Reading at the time, so there wasn't a huge pool, and I just... Mm. It was very hazy, because I was in a very bad place, hence having to yeah. go find this therapist. I would have been about 22, actually, if I was in Reading, and I remember going to sit with her, and she just was unhelpful really now looking back what I know and having seen incredible therapists yeah, yeah. And, you know done some training myself I can see how ill-equipped she was actually yes. and that really did set me back but then I was lucky that I I then got a recommendation yeah. that, that's what I do now yeah. and, and interestingly you know I probably get on Instagram, a couple of messages a day asking me for recommendations. Really? So I can direct people well, to you now. Um, and I have a lot of friends, a lot of friends. Probably one a week, a friend a week will ask me. Really? But I've got such a bank now because yeah. I've seen so yeah, many seen over so the many years. And I can think, okay, because I know my friends. Who yeah. would they? And you interview people as well, don't you, who are therapists? As, uh, oh, yes, uh, and I have a lot of therapists mm, on the podcast. Mm. So my network's getting bigger and bigger. But it's really, really hard to find someone, yes, isn't it? I agree. And what type of therapy? Well, you don't know. How do you how know? How do you know? How do you know? Why should you know what different types of therapy mean? So when we started with the idea that it would be like a dating site for finding a therapist, you know, like a match.com sort of thing. So it would be filtering out the people who would not really apply in your case. That was the way. And that is the way that it still works. Mm. But as we've now got, you know, about 850 therapists and we've also limited the amount of times a therapist can say that they have expertise in something. So they're only allowed to say eight areas of expertise. Yes. Whereas most therapy sites, you can say 150 if you want to. You can literally tick all areas as this is what I have experience in. And, you know, logically they won't. I find this inspiring on loads of levels. One, because you solved a massive problem in the market that I personally have experienced. But secondly, because how old were you when you started? Do you mind me asking? No, I don't mind. So it was in 2013, so I must have been 57. So how did it feel to do such a big, I mean, essentially yeah, from, scary. from journalist editor to tech entrepreneur yeah, totally at scary. 57? Yeah. I have, you know, around me, either as friends or just people I've met over the years, some people who have been very supportive and just, you know, ring me up, take me up. It's been fantastic. And then the very, very beginning, a male friend of mine who's an entrepreneur suggested I get a, you know, literally call them a ginger group who would like meet in my kitchen and we would talk about the different things that would need to be done to do idea. it. Because I had no tech knowledge at all. So what I'm interested in is your internal yeah, resources well, around that. Well, did obviously feel... I was filled with fear. Okay, so how did you get <laughs> over? Because I think there's two angles that I want to talk about with this. One is that, you know, lots of mums listening will be thinking about career change. Because yeah. we all know lots of those yeah. jobs that we were doing before mm. mums don't work. Mm. How did you get from that place of fear, lack of confidence into a total unknown to doing it? Well, one of the things is probably 
the truest thing is that as you get older, you don't care as much what people are going to think. Therefore, it's still frightening, but somehow or other, the humiliation doesn't come into it on the same level. So you're scared and you don't want to look stupid, but you will keep working away on something that if you were younger, you might think, no, I won't. I'll go and get a job or do something. So there are the advantages of being older in terms of you're tougher about what you can sustain. So that's quite good. But then again, there's nothing about you that looks like somebody who is going to be starting the next big thing. For example, you're not male. You're not young. Yeah, you, you don't, don't wear ripped about jeans. Tech, tech. <laughs> you don't wear ripped jeans. But there are a few things that happened among my kind of mentory people as a woman about your age. So she was even younger then. And she was working on a tech thing. I'd been her mentor when I was an editor and she was a young journalist. And then when I left, I said, let's swap it around the other way. And we still meet in Pizza Express and have the cheapest thing on the menu, you know, the whole thing. But uh, she sent me a thing saying, look at what the Google, you know, they have a kind of thing called uh, Campus London. Yeah. Look at what they're doing. They're, they're doing a pilot scheme for founders over 50. So I applied. There were about 90 people applied and wow. I got on this group. So that was great. And I wasn't the oldest person on the group. You know, we were all, you know, between 50 and 75. Wow. And we did, you know, there were lots, everything we didn't know. Like, so a few people knew stuff, but most people didn't know anything much really. And then the woman who was working there, running the whole thing, she and I became quite friendly and she said, you should apply for an accelerator course. And then she sent me some links and I got back to her and said, you've sent me the wrong one. This is in Palo Alto. And she said, no, that's the one you should go for. And I said, you seem to misunderstand. I'm a wife and a mother. I've got a kid oh, in, in second school. Valley. I can't go to Silicon Valley. She said, yes, you can. Did you go? go and I went. Wow. I went through the so selection cool. process and I went. And obviously I was like, you know, the oldest one of only three women. I mean, most of them could easily have been my children. And I was a kind of mother symbol That's on it. That's so inspiring. But it was interesting. You know, of course it was interesting and inspiring. My husband would probably say, did it really accelerate that business? And I would probably have to say no, but it got me in front of lots of different people over the years because people kind of feel like, well, that's gutsy to do that, you know, yeah. to go off for two weeks away from the whole to leave the family, everything. I find this really inspiring because what a lot of we chat about on the podcast mm. and I help with them with is that when we have young children, it can sometimes feel like if we don't get our career right now, yeah, it's not well, going to happen. So what would you say to someone who is, you know, maybe they've got a couple of children under 10 and they're, they're stressing about what they're mm. going to do and what would you say, having got this amazingly inspiring perspective? Yeah, well, I think actually our careers are longer than we think they're going to be. And I come from the time when really people dare not step away from their careers. So in fact, you were often working with women who are pretty unhappy about their work-life balance. And you'd be dealing a lot with those problems. They were having to travel a lot. And, you know, I can remember one woman took her nanny and her children to the fashion shows in Paris. And everyone thought this was absolutely extraordinary. But, you know, she made it work. You know, it cost her a lot of money to be doing all of that. 
And maybe for some of us, it was more like, phew, we can leave all that behind and go off to those trips. But it's all tough and hard and men do that without ever having to think about mm. that. The older I get, the more I think there's a lot more air in our careers than we think there is. And you can think you've got to get back after maternity leave or you must never ask for part-time or, you know, all of those things. I think there's more room for and... You know, in the end, if you really want to make it work, you probably will. You might start and, you know, do the kind of thing you're doing. You're doing it from here. Yeah. You're making it work from here. Yeah. Well, that sort of thing just wasn't possible. Yeah. Careers are different now. So let's talk about motherhood. You have three okay. children. Have three children. Tell, can you just tell us their ages so that we get yeah. a, a context? I have a son called Charlie, who's 33, and a daughter called Alice, who's 31, and a daughter called Izzy, who is going to be 19 this week. Because the other thing that I really was excited to chat to you about is this perspective on mm. motherhood. Bringing up children. Yeah. yeah. And I was saying to you before we recorded, you know, really serendipitously, I had a couple of messages this week saying, please, will you get someone who's been through it all and help us when we're all in the thick of it? Look back. You know, first of all, I have to say, you know, I hate it when older people say everything's changed, it's really awful and we're all going to hell in a handcart. But I do feel, as I've learned more and more about child psychology, et cetera, et cetera, which, in fact, I didn't know about the time when I was bringing up my children. Well, you weren't None working on psychology. No, but then. I don't think any of us knew. You know, no. I had like a book. Each of my friends, when we first had our children, there were two other friends, the three of us had these children, and we each had a different book, like Penelope Leach, Miriam Stoppard, can't remember what the other one was, those three books and we would ring each other up. Mine was Miriam Stoppard. And I would say, well, what does Penelope Leach say about this? But the main thing I remember is we all were so obsessed with being pregnant and the birth. We'd forgotten to read anything about what you do with a baby. I think that still happens. I think, how on earth did we do that? But I think with all of us, we we're all from New Zealand living in London and we all had our mothers turn up. And our mothers, for me, with each of my children, even though, of course, by the end, my mother was getting pretty old. My mother stayed with me. So in a way, it was a kind of like a very old-fashioned way. And she really, well, actually what she did was largely leave me alone with the baby and do the other stuff that, you know, like... Like a doula would. Yeah, Yeah, cleaning the house, cooking the food, you know, doing things, you know, helping, making sure that I could sleep and all that kind of thing. And just a few... Things like I remember I used to walk around with my son trying to get him to sleep and she would say, and she never wanted to be critical, but she'd say, Louise, just think about it. How would you like to be dragged around the sitting room when all you want to do is fall asleep? (laughs) And I had thought that what I was doing was getting him to sleep. And then I was going, but she said, actually, this is where he's going to sleep. He's got to fall asleep there. He's got to get used to falling asleep there. And I hadn't even really thought about that. Yeah. And it seemed like this is what people did. So when you look at, and you mentioned your middle daughter's 31, so this might be thinking in the next few years. So when you look at my generation of Mm. mothers and the fact that we don't have free books, we often have 30. Yeah. And we Google and we we get... A whole of the internet. If you Google like breastfeeding or why is my baby not fit, you get like billions. I know. You know, and and I'd love you to bring in some of your child psychology knowledge and all your knowledge from the therapists that you know and work with. What does that make you think? I suppose, well, you know. 
This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stresses, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. And therapy is a space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. Therapy is just an incredible, safe, non-judgmental space. I absolutely love it. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule, which I think as busy mums is what we all need. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. So get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash motherkind today and get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash motherkind. Sometimes it makes me feel sad. And what do you feel sad about? Because I think really you just just you and this baby and you know, you just gotta spend time work each other out. And it's quite a struggle sometimes. And it takes ages, you know, over weeks and months and I used to phone my mother and say, you know, oh my god, I'll never you know, this it just say everything's a phase and it's usually never longer than six weeks and those kind of things I think are really key to remember that mm. it's never as terrible as you think it's going to be otherwise you know the air would be filled with babies being thrown out of the window <laughs> that you know and, it, and it's not and we end up loving them dearly and wanting to make life really fantastic for them but with babies and toddlers you're so responsible for them when they're really small. It's really nerve-wracking, I think, if something ever does go wrong. One of my children got a little bug. I mean, this is very minor, but she was the lightest of them all. And she got a little bug and had a little bit of diarrhea and things. And her legs sticking out of her nappy were like pieces of string, you know. It was just mm. terrible to realise how quickly... A baby can become weak and you can be seriously worried. Mm. Thank God I never had any serious issues with them. But it's a responsibility. But if you think about it, it's the biggest shift you can ever have. You know, you're growing a baby and the first time you do that, it's just the most extraordinary thing kind of lovely but sort of strange as well and then you have to go through something that is pretty hardcore to deliver you know however it happens it's not a simple thing you don't it's not like you know buying something on ASOS or you know it's really the most visceral act that most people will ever go through most men will never have anything like that happen unless they're in a car crash or you know I mean you know it's a big deal and then you'll have this huge responsibility where you know you'll be missing out on lots of sleep your body will take a long time to recover and you have to develop you know the the instincts are there but you also have to build on them you you know Mm. give it time to come through Mm. not blame yourself if you're not feeling that. Just feel, well, that takes time. Mm. I mean, I've read a lot of stuff recently about postnatal depression, more people's experience than actual what causes it. And, you know, watching the Louis Theroux TV program, which was, you know, that was a hard watch. And it reminded me that it's such a big change in your life 
and all kinds of things are going on physically, emotionally, mentally, we can't be surprised that it sometimes can make you feel sad, angry, depressed, hyper, all number of things. Particularly, as you say, if we don't have that support and we bring that that stress of modern life to it. Well, I feel like you have friends and you have support and all that kind of thing, but you also have this kind of unfettered competition, it seems to me, that goes on, that is what a celebrity looks like with a baby or what an influencer looks like with a baby. It used to be like ads. That's what you'd, you'd see an ad on TV and think, well, it's nothing like that for me. But it's much bigger now. Every time you pick up your phone. It's huge. Um, it's, huge. It's, it's an enormous thing. And it's a worry, not just in the effect it's having on the woman and how she feels about herself, but I think it looks like it's having an effect on the relationship between the mother and the baby. Because if things like your phone or your laptop or whatever, if the use of that is going up and up and up because you're connecting with that or being validated by that in some way, then you're not looking at your baby and your baby's not looking at you. And that's how kids learn. They look at you from days, weeks old. They look at you. They look at you and you smile and they smile. They look at you and you yawn and they yawn. Lots and lots of things. They look at you and they listen to you. Or your nanny or what, you know, my children would go, Mum, what are you talking about? I had nannies, you know. I was working. But obviously I was also up in the night, etc. I was very connected with my child but there were no mobile phones so this you know. is this is interesting because you've obviously raised three happy healthy well they all adults. say they all say um that my maternal instinct is you know less than optimum but okay. in a that is in a jokey way that is a okay. you know we're at what, family dinners when you know they are joking amongst themselves we're all very much in contact so with each you, other so when you look back yeah when I look back what did you get right and what would you think to yourself not in a regretful way but it just might be helpful for people to hear with this perspective that you bring you know ah might have done that differently or what would you say you really did well well I think the more you can leave work at the door the better and were you good at doing that well I think there were no mobile phones. There weren't, you know. So you weren't checking email, emails at well, home. There, no, there was no email when the first two were little. And what would you say? So, I, you know, I might have got away for business trips and things like that. But, you know, I would phone and there was a lot built around them. Their dad, their nanny, you know. So all, you were working right from all the way through? Yes, when you look back on that, do you feel good about that? Like, what's Not your... always, not okay, always. tell me a bit about that. You know, I don't know. I think I'm still thinking about it. I was thinking about it this morning because I feel like I have a good relationship with my children. I don't think there's anything terrible where I really drop the ball and anything terrible happened to them. I think that they made friends, they had, you know, good childhoods. We would go back and see my parents in New Zealand, all that, you know, there was a lot of that kind of thing going on. You know, there were disadvantages in living a long way from an extended family. I think that's something that is involved with having these kind of jobs, that I felt that kind of life wouldn't be 
I wouldn't be having that in New Zealand. But then when I say to them, do you wish that I'd gone back to live in New Zealand? They say, no, we're happy mm. living here. We like living here. We like our lives. You know, each of them has probably got a play or a sports day or a something like that, a birthday, something that they would say, I remember when you didn't turn up for that. To which I say, well, you know, my father never knowingly set foot in my secondary school and he was a very loving father. There were lots of other things that we did together. You know, he bought me lots of books. He took me to the theatre. He knew that the school would be taken care of. You know, it was fine. I feel like you could spend too much time looking at everything like that. If you largely give time to your kids, mm. if that's something that you count if you think about that, how much time have I spent it's with the them? Most do I know what they're interested? Do I know what they're interested in? You know, those kind of things. And I know lots of people who are much better than I was at encouraging and following the interests of their kids. And my kids, I guess, could be different if I had always taken them to the swimming lessons or discovered that one of them really wanted to ride a horse or but I kind of felt like, you know, we found things that we liked to do and we tried to build that in. And I didn't really feel like, I think I'm resistant to covering myself in blame, but I do think that the jobs, you know, big jobs when you have small children are quite a problem. Mm. How did you look after yourself? Because I know something that you're oh. quite passionate about is self-care in motherhood. Yes. Putting our own oxygen mask on. Yes, absolutely. How, how good were you at doing that? Not particularly. <laughs> <laughs> Not particularly. So where's this passion come from it now then? Well, I think when you get older, you look at things differently. And sometimes, you know, it's like I used to smoke until I was 40. And now I think it's the worst thing in the world. I mean, sometimes that's the way life is. And you discover something and think, actually, this makes me feel much better. So how good are you today at that oxygen mask and looking after yourself? It depends. I mean, when you're starting a business, you have to give a lot to it. It's I like do it. child, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, I really? do it from, we work together in a co-working space on some days and we work remotely on others. So that does mean that, you know, I mean, one of the things about having children and I know that your podcast is very much about younger children. And I feel like if there were things that my children might have thought, and I'm sure they do, actually, I know they do feel you could have been more attentive when you had these big jobs, running big teams and everything. You could be more attentive. But I am very much on hand now. Mm -hmm. I'm very much on call now. And I feel like actually... That's quite a, a big thing for kids. It's really interesting because my mum didn't work for 18 years mm. and she had a late career revival as well. Oh, really? And now works extremely hard. It's really successful. Yeah. But I don't see her so much. Yeah. So it's really interesting, yeah. like, the timing of it all. I mean, she, I do see her, sort of, I guess, once every three, four weeks. <laughs> But yeah, it's really interesting that because yeah. she isn't on call to me right now, yeah. but she absolutely was from zero yes. to, to 18. It's interesting, isn't yeah. it? You see, I look forward to being 
a fantastic grandmother. Yeah, see, a much better I can, grandmother. Sometimes I can compare when I'm not in a good place of those grandmothers that are on call. And, yeah. But then actually I'm really proud of my mum. Yeah. I'm really proud of her. Well, that's that what my children this, say to me. She's so successful yeah. and she works so hard. And same like you, actually. She works with majority, like under 30s. What sort of, um, can I ask, what sort of things Yeah, she, she runs like one of the biggest wedding dress shops. Oh, really? Yeah, and it's on a TV show and yeah. she's... You know, it's big. Like Great. she has like fifty people working for her, I think, or something. So it's interesting. Yeah. Like the, but I was asking you about self care because I think this is something yes. that I'm really passionate about. Mm-hmm. So what do you do today? I mean, obviously today, you're, you're editor of Planet Mindful. Yes, do you meditate? Of I do. I do. <laughs> but my meditation, I find sitting upright. You know, I'm not even talking about sitting on the floor, but sitting in a chair upright is okay sometimes. But at the end of the day. I love the body scan. I think it's absolutely made for the end of a day. You'll lie in bed and do that. I lie on the floor in the the sitting room and I play a kind of CD and do that. I've also got the Calm app and the Andy Puttacum Puttacum one. Headspace. Headspace. And Michael Acton-Smith from Calm Mm. was on a panel that Welldoing did at the Google London campus when he was just starting it. And he was one of the first interviews I did in Planet Mindful. And it's been an absolute runaway success. It's the most extraordinary success. Oh, he's done amazing. And and he's given it to our Welldoing therapists. They all can claim a year-long premium membership of the Calm app, which is fantastic because I met him at that kind of Mm. early point. So I do that. I would say uh, more often, probably the biggest thing I do for myself every day is I walk the dog. Now, I never thought I'd have a dog and I never thought I'd be a dog walking woman. So that's quite interesting, but it's really great. I go through phases sometimes, like today, I was listening to one of your podcasts to kind of get myself in the zone. But I found more recently, I like best not listening to anything and just walking and trying to get into trees in June, you know, that kind of being in nature. Nature is such a big part of what makes me feel good. Now, when I was younger, I don't think I really noticed nature at all. I think I was like big city girl. You were busy. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like I, you were busy. I was like, you know, very into Are you happier big now? city. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Because obviously the business is in competition, all that kind of thing. I don't personally feel in competition with everybody in the same way. The way that, you know, women can. Mm. I feel like when you're younger, Especially if you work on a fashion magazine, my God, you know, never stops. (laughs) (laughs) Even if you feel like I'm above all that, I'm not that kind of editor of, you know, in style or something. Well, actually, there's no way you can avoid it. It just is. I don't think that environment would suit me at all. I think I'd last about a week before a breakdown. I mean, a mindfulness (laughs) magazine is the complete opposite. We don't really do anything much about things that you can buy. Yeah, and um, we have like a couple of little chopping pages that are very small and tiddly, you know, and the rest of it is about things like walking or yoga. I do yoga on and off. I did yoga first when I think I was 14. So over my wow. whole life. Yeah, but you might think, oh, she must be really good. She must be able to do this that, and that. No, I can't. I like slow contemplative yoga and I like it, you know, more for the feeling that it leaves me with and the space in my mind that it provides than arms or 
that or anything like that. It's just not really in there. My latest self-care thing, it sort of comes about because about 14, 15 months ago, my mother died and I found that very hard. And for a year, I really felt like life was harder in lots of ways. Just she wasn't there to talk to on the phone and anyway, you know, tell my life about too. And lots of things that are good for self-care slipped away. So I drank more than I should have and I exercised less and I got lower. And more recently, sparked by my husband saying, pull yourself together, woman. I've got a trainer and I'm back doing the yoga. And I mean, I walked the dog and everything all through that, but I was down. And I've got a new trainer who, as it happens, is also very into mindfulness. And he's a guy of about 40, but he's extremely evolved but without being sort of pretentious about it. And so I feel like, oh my God, I found the perfect guy. The only sort of guy who would get me in a gym properly doing stuff. And I'm really enjoying it without feeling competitive with everyone or, you know, it just feels good. Mm. So that's making me feel much more like everything is back on the track. Mm. And I wanted to ask you just before we wind down to an end about self-compassion and self-kindness. Yeah, well, I think this was particularly true with women of your generation and also women with children. You know, there's a lot of blaming yourself and a lot of holding yourself up to standards that actually when you have small children, it doesn't really matter you know, you've really just got to keep them alive and yourself from screaming or crying. And if you do scream or cry, well, you know, never mind. That'll stop. (laughs) That'll stop. You know, you need to not blame yourself. You know, a lot of it is about thinking other people don't do this, but everybody does everything. And you really can't let yourself believe that the images used in advertising or whatever are what really pass for ordinary life. You know, it's all tiny steps towards building life. And, you know, it's just a kind of path. It's a journey. It's what, you know, whatever kind of metaphor you want to have. Kids want to know that you're there, know that you have some interest in them. It doesn't have to be absolute, you know, my mother used to say, don't sit there eyeballing them all the time you know like you had time too but you know when you are together be together Mm. and I think that's a pretty good thing to think about Mm. just being present just be yeah okay and so I asked the same question at the end of every interview which is if you could give just one gift to all the mums in the world what would it be and why I think it would probably be the ability to switch off a bit more. Because I'm not a digital native, I find it very easy to leave. You know, I went away for a weekend to Spain and left my phone behind. Oh my God. It didn't bother <laughs> me. me with horror. <laughs> it didn't bother me. You know, my husband had a phone. I said, if anyone needs us, they can phone you. It felt so great. <laughs> I didn't want to know what was happening anywhere else. I wanted to experience that. I know that isn't easy to do, but I think doing a few steps that like turning the sound down or taking your email off 
when you're on the weekend or, you know, those kind of things or putting it in the drawer, you know, anything that is going to work for you just a little bit. I think that would make you feel better. You see, it might make you feel better. I think if you try it a bit more, just try only having one social media or, you know, not so much. I mean, I'm on social media. I do use it, but it's very limited. And the reason why is it it takes so much time. And I think when you have a small baby, you know, I regularly would go a couple of days and think, bloody hell, I haven't even had a shower because there was so much washing to do or or I'd just fall asleep and then I, and you think something basic like having a shower you wouldn't have time for or even having a wee. I remember you know, trying to work out how to fit that in, you think. And yet there's so much more social media going on with people with children Maybe that would be something that could be just cut back on a little bit. Ah, well, thank you. (laughs) So that's it. Thank you for listening to the episode. I hope you really enjoyed it. And if you did, please do leave a review on iTunes. It does make a massive difference to the number of mums that we can reach with this content. If you were listening to that episode, thinking about one of your friends that they might benefit from what we were chatting about, then just tag them in on Instagram. My bio will include the link to the podcast so they can find it really easily from there. People often tell me they're desperate to share it with their friends. So if that's you, then please do. I feel like the guests that we have on the podcast, their wisdom just deserves to be heard far and wide. So help me make that happen. I'd be very grateful. And also, if you want to send me any comments or thoughts about the episode, then please pop over onto Instagram at motherkind underscore Zoe. And also just to let you know about my coaching. So I do work one-on-one with mums on my programme, which is a three-month programme called Reconnect to You. So if you want to work with me on taking your power back in any area of your life, then please do get in touch. Just drop me an email, zoe at motherkind.co or look on the website, www.motherkind.co. That's it. And I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Take care.